another edition of the IDCA to Infinity Paradigm and Beyond podcast, where we recognize faces and thought leaders of the technology industry and have candid discussions on topics pertaining to digital transformation, cloud, data centers, infrastructure, and IT leadership. This time I'm joined by Becky Wanta, former CIO, CTO of several Fortune 50 companies. Becky, thanks for joining the show today. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for inviting me. No, this should be a lot of fun. And, you know, before we get into the technical stuff, um, tell me a little bit about Becky. What is, uh, what, what consumes you when you're not working or what are some of the hobbies or books you've read recently? Oh gosh. Um, I have, you know, um, I have two types of reading I like to do, right? One is there's a little bit more on the technical side, some of these different, different, uh, different technologies and where they're headed. But then I also have what I call no, you know, the mindless reading that's just kind of takes you out of your element. And so those are going to be more probably um, kind of intellectually challenging only in the sense that they're, uh, they can, they're puzzling out deep into the book as to what, uh, what's really going on. What are the subplots and stuff like that? So that's just my mindless reading. But I still like to stay current in my craft, as you know. So, you know, there's just so much change continue to happen in tech that you got to you got to use you got to do whatever you need to do to stay current. And that's my worry always in the CIO roles, as you know, or right. right. other discussions. Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. I mean, I, um, uh, I mean, if, the, if that were a theme for a, com- uh, a conversation all by itself, it would be enough. And that's the, the need for continuous learning for yes. anyone in IT. Right. CIO or otherwise makes no difference. Right. Well, and you know, Mark, you know, when you get to the levels that I've had, it's very easy to get comfortable and kind of rest back because no matter how insignificant the changes that you may want to roll out from a tech perspective, there's still a pain of change associated with it. And it's easier to do nothing. And, you know, that's for me, that's a dereliction of responsibilities. And and it, it puzzles me when I see a lot of CIOs trying to focus only on data center operations when that's, you know, as you know, that's table stakes, but that's not what's going to drive a business forward. That's just an expectation that that needs to be dialed in the way it needs to be dialed in. Yeah. But you've really got to deliver business value. Yeah, or you're going absolutely. to be disintermediated and rightfully so. Pretty, pretty much. Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. I mean, we certainly agree on that um, among so many other things. So, you know, thinking about that and thinking about being disintermediated or, or conversely, um, attempting to be a big part of what makes your business uh, competitive and, and valuable in the years to come. Um, you know, some of the conversations we've had would, um, would uh, lead me to believe that we both uh, very much agree on the notion that digital transformation is a key opportunity for uh, IT leadership and the IT team as a whole to play a, play a bigger part in what happens uh, in the enterprise. Because it, again, uh, I, I love your feedback on, on this as potentially multiple answers uh, in the same vein, but, you know, the digital transformation co- connotates the idea that this is an IT thing, Correct. Um, but really, realistically, it's a business thing. And, business um, thing. and so, so talk to me a little bit about how you see that um, happening and, and what the average um, IT leader needs to be thinking uh, as we head into this um, era of digital transformation. I think the um, I think the most important piece on the digital transformation is just what you said. You know, there's a it's a it's a unity of the business. I mean, you know, it's how many times does IT get accused of being technology out looking for a problem? And you know, Mark, you know my background, so I've never had a job, right? Because I love what I do and I do it around the world. So 
what I when I get typically recruited in, whether it's Pepsi, Southwest Airlines, Wells Fargo, you know, MGM Resorts International, it's at a time in the maturation of the company where they're so irritated with their IT organization, they're ready to just jettison it, right? And why yeah. is that? Because of the cost and value returned. And so we now call it digital transformation, but you and I've been at this a long time and it's always transformation. And, and the key that's transforming is, you know, I've been blessed in the sense that my companies have all been number one in their markets. And when you're number one, there's only one direction to go. And they took that very seriously. And so what I would say in that process is, is that the technology, the core infrastructure, the stuff under the covers needs to be there. It needs to be put together in a fashion that's going to be living and continue to evolve. But you're also the chief innovation officer in the company, right? You're, you're the one that has to learn to get deep into what the value of the business is. And you should be coming there with your business partners, your senior executive team that you're a part of at seat at the table that you have to earn every time you turn around, but you should be helping them understand how to go into other markets so they can increase their brand because that's what it will do. It is that innovation engine and some of the leadership teams in these companies and so forth haven't had the benefit of that. And that's why, you know, you and I've talked about this before. That's why I really believe, you know, it's a leadership play. You have to be technical because you got to know when, you know, what needs to happen and how to do it because you've got to execute. There's no excuse for not, not executing. And, and I get worried because, you know, now we've got labels around it. We call it digital transformation. We've been calling this transformation forever in the sense that the business is in a place. And you've seen those same studies, you know, that how is your company going to be one of the ones that's alive 50 years from now? And I take that right. very seriously. I want yeah. my companies I lead to be there. Right. Right. No, I mean, all excellent points. And so, you know, riffing on those points a little bit, um, uh, you know, I heard in your answer something that I've used as a term for a company. And again, we can riff on that term and, and what it means to you and I. Um, but uh, and I'm sure I'm not the first one to, to think of it this way, but mm-hmm. I think of digital transformation as helping to make a company not more effective at printing or not printing, not more effective at having computers connected or more effective at using uh, a website or ERP. Right. All of those things are, are, are ongoing table stakes for Correct. IT. What's really important is how do you take a combination of the appropriate technology solutions with organizational design and corporate vision and create a company platform? Exactly. Right? Exactly. And so, so let's talk about that. I mean, when you, know, when you think about a company, to me, when I think about a company as a platform, I think about the relationship to a, an IT platform. If I have a good, well-architected IT platform, some of the minimum benefits, uh, you know, minimum viable product benefits of that platform is the ability to add and remove things relatively quickly to exactly seamlessly correct. see value. Exactly right? so correct. Exactly so from a business perspective, do you see any difference there or do you see that really as kind of the goal of digital transformation? I think that to me is the goal of digital transformation. And that's because think about it, Marcus, you just like you said, you know, one thing about companies and one thing about their architectures, those have to stay living, viable entities. And so if all of a sudden you can't embrace new technologies because by the time you integrate it into your back end, you've lost 18 to 36 months and the business has changed so many times, you're not going to be a going concern for the foreseeable future. And that's, it's easy sometimes just to focus on the data center operations and optimizing and doing cost takeouts and all that kind of stuff 
that a lot of your CFO centric people, you know, think is the only value that IT can bring. But the reality is, is it's our job. You know, we have to not only translate, but we've also got to be able to do just what you said, be able to put in place that kind of an architecture infrastructure that's going to allow us to innovate and drive our businesses forward and, and capitalize on more market share. And in some cases, disrupt it completely and, and own it, right? Own those new lines of business and so forth. Right, right. No, absolutely. And it's funny, I, um, I just want to, comment on your point about the CF, CFO centric and I've um, I've used this line before um, but uh, I'm going to use it again because it seems so apt here and that's that uh, IT was not invented to help reduce the cost of IT Correct. and unfortunately so many of us look at it that way it's like um, it's like why would a company have marketing and right. why would a company that's hurting reduce expenses on marketing. Now, there, don't get me wrong, there could be situations where a company turnaround involves a dramatic change in product or, or the marketing message is so bad that continuing to spend money on it is a bad idea. But generically speaking, whether it's marketing or IT, if you're cutting back on real capability and opportunity in either one of those areas, as opposed to just managing effectively, which every department head has to do, Mm-hmm. If you're really cutting back on operational opportunity with either one of those capabilities or, or business areas, you're reducing the potential effectiveness and opportunity for the company. And I don't see any two ways, any other way to look at it. No, and I think you're right, because there's two other things to think about when you're, tr- when I'm transforming a company, I do two things, several things, but there's two things that are kind of top of mind from a decisioning, just to play to your point a little bit deeper is when I'm transforming, the first thing I'm deciding, and again, I've always run technology in companies that were that could be their competitive advantage, not a technology company. And so having said that as a backdrop, I know it can be the competitive advantage. So the first thing I'm looking at from my IT organization is what's core? You know, and for me, core isn't data center operations. That's table stakes. Somebody else that that is their core I want them to be my partner to provide those services to me. Core for me in those non-technology companies that I've led is around the information, the technology, the design aspects, things that are intellectual capital elements in the technology space that continue to enrich my partnership with the business and drive the value that I feel we have to. The second thing is, is I look at the cost model. And 80% of your your budget inside of IT is spoken for in terms of licensed labor and maintenance. So if you're going to create a transformation and a disruption, you've got to get your indirect and direct spend changed, changed into a point where when I go back to my comment about strategic partnerships, I'm never going to be able to build a level five data center inside of my businesses because they're not going to have the, if it's a capital to drive more revenue versus a build, building another data center, it's going to go to more revenue. So you're always going to end up with maybe a level three, level four data center. And I'm using the uptime, uptime kind of metric as a way right. to kind of scope that. But yep. the point being is that if all of a sudden I can change where instead of 80% of my costs are already spoken for in terms of license labor and maintenance, and I can move that down to around 40 or 50, it frees up 40 or 40 to 60% right, Mark, into yep. innovation. And, right. and that's right. how I'm going to be able to do more, more with less and do things to hire more efficiency. And what I think is so fascinating is, you know, this notion of this cost take I mean, I'm always looking at ways to reduce 
costs and, and optimize performance and efficiencies. But here's the reality too. You know, you can continue to treat this as a as a cash cow way to rip costs out of your your organization. But guess what's coming? What's coming is a balloon payment because at some point after you've mothballed your infrastructure so severely, you're going to have to bring it back up to certain rev levels in order to drive the innovation and efficiency we're talking about that's a natural expectation to do digital transformation. Right, right. No, totally agree. And I mean, uh, so, you know, taking that um, set of points that we've covered in the last couple of minutes and, and taking it a step further, when I see... Uh, the opportunity associated with uh, digital transformation. What I see is sort of the opportunity of taking a bank and turning it into PayPal, right? Mm -hmm. Taking a blockbuster and turning it into a Netflix. Yes. Um, I mean, those are those may not be perfect examples, but they're you know relatively speaking, they're they're on the same page. And so, and they're disruptors. And they right, were disruptors they're dis at their time. Right. And so, mm -hmm. if you're if you're a CIO for an organization that's looking to make that change. Do you want to be the CIO that continues to own what what becomes a more and more minor portion of the technology ownership of that company? Or do you want to be the CIO that takes a leadership position of turning IT into the equivalent of engineering? Because with the, the interesting um, separator that we come up with when we talk about a company like a PayPal or a Netflix is that we talk about engineering and we talk about IT. Well, I'm sorry, but Google is nothing but one giant IT organization that has Correct. become so big, it has to have official marketing and official sales and, and official finance and official HR, but it is nothing but a giant IT organization. So you can call PayPal's um, engineering group engineering if you want, but it really is more IT that just happens to belong to maybe the CTO. Mm -hmm. So doesn't it make sense that um, you know, if a CIO plays his or her cards correctly, that they could be a bigger part of that uh, future of the organization. You know, and that's the thing, Mark. I my belief is is that if that CIO doesn't see that and isn't doing that, that's the wrong person in the job, because it's exactly why, you know, companies start to you know, really question whether or not they want a CIO. And you know, I mean, most all the presidents and CEOs of all the tech companies. In today, in today, whether it's Oracle, you know, uh, Cisco, any, they've literally gotten hundreds of millions of dollars from me, right, Mark, over my career yeah. because, you know, they've they've had they solved parts of my puzzle as I was putting in, and and in one of the conversations, I I still get a chuckle out is one that you know John Chambers and I would always have because it goes to your point. He used to say that, you know, because Cisco, in, in his definition, clearly he thinks he's an engineering company. And he used to say to me, Becca, I don't need a CIO. Now we have Rebecca over there, Jacoby, and she's awesome and so forth. But he really always believed he relegated the CIO function as a non, you know, more of a non-technical, non-engineering function and deal, dealing with, you know, office automation, data center operations. None of that stuff's moving the needle in terms of revenue. And, that, right. and so it's just... It's interesting, but it's a call to action, too, for CIOs, right, Mark? Because if, yeah. if you're being relegated into that and you're not being seen as that innovator, the chief innovation officer, you know, it, does it go the other way where, you know, some say CIO stands for careers over? I'm, I always right. laugh, too, when I hear about companies that go out and, you know, put in place a chief digital officer. If the CIO is the chief digital officer, then what in the heck are they doing in those roles, right, Mark? Right, right. No, I agree. And, and you know, to, speaking to that, I mean, you think about a company like Cisco and the fact that who's buying 
uh, a majority of Cisco gear. It's um, an IT leader somewhere, somewhere, whether it's a line manager or a network manager or a CIO, they are buying um, Cisco gear. And so what audience does Cisco need to represent itself to most effectively? The IT community. Well, Correct. what better way to do that than to have a CIO that exemplifies the best possible use case models and, and innovation models for networking and the things above networking mm -hmm. in the organization. And if the CIO can't reference and, and represent those things, I think you're missing an enormous opportunity, both as the, for the growth of the CIO itself and for the opportunity for the enterprise. Exactly. And you know, you raise a good point too, because this is something, you know, I don't know how many different sales teams I've spoken to over the years that, you know, for these different companies, whether it's Cisco, Oracle, whatever. Um, and you know, what fascinates me though, Mark, is they really don't know how to come in and have a conversation with the CIO. They want to talk about, you know, bits and bytes and colors of servers and bare metal versus this or the other thing. You know, at the end of the day, that's not the conversation you're going to have with the CIO. You may go sell that into one of their VPs of infrastructure, but that's not the kind of conversation I would want my sales teams having with somebody like me, right? Because, yep. you know, and I always use the uh, MGM example, right? The MGM resorts example, because, you know, I mean, you know, Mark, every time somebody finds out where if I'm in a meeting or in a conference or something, you know, they've always got the second coming that's going to solve everything. And I always tell them, I said, here, I'll give you an example. Take, let's just take MGM resorts international. So it's the biggest employer in Nevada, as you know, it pays the, and then the taxpayer and it has, um, you know, all the properties pretty much on the strip except for a few. And it's, you know, it's a lot bigger than MGM Grand Las Vegas, which just happens to be one of the properties. And I'd say, OK, well, tell me how your little widget here to these tech companies. Tell me how your little widget's going to improve the check in experience at Bellagio. Yeah. You know, but that's a harder question. Right, Mark, because then it means right. the sales teams have to do some due diligence to figure out what top of mind problems are for us CIOs and then tell and connect the dots. Yep. Yep. No, absolutely. And, and, and that's, again, you know, to, to that point, it, it, it takes you back to um, the sales teams can do that better if it plays a more, um, exactly right. uh, a, a more in-depth role across the company, especially if you're already a technology company, it just makes sense. And, and to that point, um, I think we would both agree, based on the conversation so far, that uh, a digital transformation, in effect, means, whether you call it digital transformation or, or not, that uh, in effect means that, you know, every company needs to be a technology company. Correct. Um, uh, there's no two ways around it. You know, so when, when, I, when I think about, uh, you know, beyond the whole platform idea, the ability to integrate companies and partners and new, new solutions and, and um create new business models, enter new markets more effectively as, far as part of the platform. To me, one of, the, one of the best themes, most important themes about many of the technology trends that are occurring today, um, some of those trends help enable uh, a more effective digital transformation, things like edge computing or mm -hmm. AR and, and, um, and VR ML, or yeah. AL yeah. and ML, you know, yep. et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Yep. Um, but, you know, underlying all those things, it seems to me that you know customer experience and customer intimacy are the two most important kind of overarching umbrella themes across almost every one of those technologies. How do you how do you see the opportunity of digital transformation to um, to take a company and be more effective at um, at understanding their customers and and being involved you know in a in a non intrusive non kind of peeking over your bedside table uh, kind of way. Uh, more involved in your customers' lives. Well, I think you hit on it. I mean, I think, 
you know, the, you know, what, you know, Apple kind of hit us between the eyes when we, you know, cause when you, and I use this point all the time just to kind of illustrate what I mean by UI versus UX, yeah. you know, when, when I'm not an Apple uh, phone person at all, but, but what I appreciate about that is the, the experience with those devices, I'm just using them as an example, but it, it really to yeah. me illustrates what the difference is between UX and UI is. In my view, the future is UX. It is experiential. It is learning and adapting to the individual level. And what happens a lot of times is you still have your, you know, when we're doing development and stuff like that, we're still kind of building it from a UI perspective. It's not learning. It's not adapting real time. It's forcing, you know, the experience with a brand one way. And, and yeah. you know, Mark, this is the first time in the, in the history of our nation we have seven demographics in the buying works in the buying workspace and in the workspace in general. So the interactions with the brands for these companies is changing. And I believe that technology is going to be the only way and it's going to become more experiential, highly adaptive. And I also think from a tech perspective, a lot of what we're chasing is going to with you have when you have the culmination call it the connected world, call it IoT, call it whatever you want. But the point is, is that so much stimulation is going on. It has to be dealt with in the moment. After the fact is not going to happen and be as effective to a brand in order to create the kind of revenues, the kind of disruption that I believe that these companies are going to need. Pick whatever company you're saying, but at least the brands that I lead, I believe that that's how they're going to be hugely successful. But how do you do that in pieces and in a way that makes it a bit able to scale. And that's where, like you said, ML, AL, DL, the edge computing, a lot of those different techniques to be able to call out what's relevant and action on it real time. That's, yeah. you know, that's, and, and, and in a non-intrusive, non-creepy way, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it's, it's, um, it's great that you mentioned the real time because that's funny. I was just going to ask you a question about real time and, and the importance, uh, you know, going back to the importance of this being, an organizational, um, you know, top-down activity for transformation rather than just an IT transformation. Because, right. I mean, how many times in your career, I've got to believe it's happened at least a few times, has somebody come to you and said, I need real-time intelligence on this? And you know the whole time that, okay, I'm going to bust my ass. I'm going to create, I'm going to spend extra money. I'm going to create something that will give them real-time intelligence. And yet they have an organizational model that means that their response time to that intelligence will probably run anywhere from one to five weeks. Right. Well, it's right? like breaches. It's like, it's like security breaches. Yep. I mean, the technology yep. right now, I'll tell you, you might've been breached, you know, six, seven, eight months ago. Great. What am I supposed to do with what happened then? I mean, right. you know, I mean, and that's, I'll give you the other side of that too, Mark. When I did, when I led the transformation of PepsiCo, you know, it was to the goal with Pepsi was to take them from five companies PepsiCo, um, Tropicana, Gatorade, Quaker Oats, Frito-Lay into PepsiCo. Yep. And I never, and I, and I put together to do that, you know, we were on an Oracle ERP train. I broke that down and we took it to SAP because ERP isn't a competitive advantage. It's table stakes. But right. we, and so we were on this customized build out, you know, the way Oracle wants to, you know, kind of make it really tailored to you, which is a, which is a time to market delay. If you're yeah. a pretty established manufacturer, like in four of our five units in Pepsi, we're that way. One is not, yeah. and we didn't roll SAP to it. But the, the point of the matter was, as I said to Indra, and I love her to death. I think she's the best there ever was. Um, you know, I said, Indra, I said, don't you want to know before our, her, our orchards are on a hurricane glide path, before they're obliterated, since it takes eight years for um, 
uh, orchards to yield fruit? Wouldn't you want to know up front that that's happening so that you can set up your contingency pro uh, procurements and you don't uh, jeopardize the, uh, you know, the manufacturing ecosystem? And she said, yeah. And I said, well, SAP doesn't do that. This is real-time data. We're hooked into, we'll get hooked into the weather channel. We'll do all these things. Yep. And I said, and, but see, here was a business that was just like you said, Mark, they, they've never had the data real time. So they did their model, their practices and stuff were set on established manufacturing schedules, just using it as an example. There's yep. lots of those kind of examples in any of the ecosystems in the companies I've led and so forth. But the, we're changing the model. I mean, they don't realize, I mean, I use, I can go back to the MGM one, 43 million people come here as a, as a tourist every day, every year to Vegas. Well, if you're already back in your car and in your plane, I've lost money not knowing you're on premise. Obviously, that's what MLife changed for the yeah. for the MGM brand. But it's the same idea. They, they haven't had it or they don't know how to adopt it into their operating fabric. And so there's a lot of money left on the table and lost opportunity, in my view. And that's part of what I changed. And that's part of what digital transformation should be an expectation of. Right, right. No, I totally agree. And so, um, you know, bringing it to to because uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up um, IDCA at some point, considering that this is an IDCA podcast. And we think I'm a about, big fan of that. Well, I, I, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was going to say the reason I'm a big fan of that framework, and I've and I've studied it in length, and obviously I said on your advisory board. But the reason I'm excited yeah. about it is because it starts to address in a in a manageable way how you can bring in new innovations without a rip and replace, because that's not an option. It's never right. going to be an option. And so you can take aspects of that framework, and you can develop a path forward and that's what's in, that's what's key you don't have to start with a science project or a white sheet of paper you take that framework apart and you deal with like okay maybe i want to do data center consolidations or maybe i want to do maybe i want to move more and more workloads into the cloud i can tease that out through your framework through the idca framework and be able to make that a real even if i separate different workloads and cross platform them i yeah, can do yeah. that with that framework that's to me that's a path forward that's why i'm a fan of it I appreciate that. And I mean, so you've pretty much answered my question. I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of it for much of the same reasons and more. And um, it seems that uh, when you consider the complexity in the life of the average IT person today, not only in, in attempting to move forward off of their 80 to 90% um, keep the lights on um, uh, cost of living um, environments, but also trying to adopt and, and, um, integrate new capabilities that that a framework like the infinity paradigm becomes even more important um and it's like to me uh, you know maybe this is a, a lame example but i like to think of uh, you know uh, the ability to address opportunity quickly as being sort of like a devops organization right what's the point of devops the point of devops is not that you have a bunch of people that can say yes because they know the process and because they've memorized something the point, mm -hmm. the, the opportunity of DevOps is to automate and ensure um, repeatability in, in its simplest form. It's to automate and ensure repeatability of some of the critical factors that make um, putting something into production uh, a risk or an opportunity for the company. And if your IT organization can make changes to all of IT with the same sort of thinking because of using the framework, being able to, to deploy, make changes, add training, 
uh, remove application environments, uh, make bigger investments in the ones they already have, whatever it is, with that kind of same DevOps mentality, the, the irony of that, which is something that is, it's only irony because it seems counterintuitive, is that you're actually liable to make better changes faster, right? Which is, I totally com- agree. yeah, I, I mean, it's, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think the the notion of DevOps, what I like about it, I call it a fusion point because, and you know this, Mark, you, I'd have my head of development on one side of the argument and my head of operations on the other side and they hate each other, right? And the reason they hate each other is because develop, we develop, we develop, we don't worry about production, you know, and so much DevOps or the operations side always ends up in trying to get this thing in operation and then, you know, make sure it's up 24 by 7 by 365, depending on the application, so on and so forth. Here now with the fusion point is a culpability on both sides. It's no longer okay to develop without production of mine, even though I've never allowed that on my watch anyway, but there's still the developers that and architects that will over architect or overdevelop something just you know they're more enamored with the stitching things together than an application that will run flawlessly in production and to me that's the metric of success so what i like about this i see devops as a fusion point i see it also as not as easy as most people think to implement because there's a lot of changes going on and i use the amazon example you know in my world you know best case you know we might, might be rolling a new release on different applications you know weekly or or monthly and usually using December as a dark time. You know, if you take the whole CICD constructs inside of a true DevOps core, you could be releasing continuously. And, you know, I mean, AWS is structured. I'm just using them as an example because I think they're a really good example to demonstrate the value that that, that can be seen in DevOps. When you've got continuous development going around the world now and you're being able to release continuously without clobbering somebody's code, you know, right. you could do 10,000 releases a day, which is just hardly my, boggles the mind. And you're not going to do that with humans. You're going to do that with machines in the way that you just described it, Mark, because that's where your efficiencies are going to come in. And you're going to be able to continue to deliver new capability ahead of your competition. And that better right. be top of mind for everybody. Yep, yep, no, totally agree. So um, this has been fantastic. And uh, that's um, sort of the end of the official questions, uh, considering what we've covered so far. Is there any one last point you'd like to leave somebody with? Like if they, if you want to give somebody a takeaway. I think the takeaway that I would, I, I want them to have is to get serious and own digital transformation and make it a success for the company or walk away because you're not doing your company fair. You're not, right. you're not, you know, you're an officer of a company, you have a responsibility and this is vital to this, to the success of the company you lead. And so it needs to become everybody's responsibility and the ability to sell that in is there is the CIOs as well. Yes. Yeah. No, couldn't agree more. And, and my only little add on to that is that um, as we discussed uh, earlier in the conversation, that digital transformation is much more than technology. It might be turning your helping to turn your company into a technology company, but uh, the, all the technology you have is meaningless if you don't have the right, organizational fortitude and vision and not only is that organizational alignment on a on a um, powerpoint it's organizational alignment and putting the right leaders in the right places and not forgetting that in the end everything we do um, uh, it rolls back to how effective our leadership is and and that leadership isn't just 
a leadership of the CIO or the CEO. No. Those are obviously critical, but it's, it's how we take ownership uh, and how we lead because um, otherwise we're mostly just dealing with the symptoms. Exactly. And, and, and the other piece of that is it's not for the weak of heart. Because one thing about digital transformation, to make the transformation really move hearts and minds, it'll take three and a half years. That does not mean it takes three and a half years to get a success. You should be able to carve your strategy out to where you're delivering value every 30, 60, 90 days because you're going to have to keep that velocity in order to keep your parties interested at all levels yeah. in the organization. Yeah, yeah. As a, as a former project manager in my life gone by, I couldn't agree more. There's, there's nothing worse than having uh, year-long projects where oh uh, half gosh. the team is half the team has forgotten your name by the time you get into six months uh, and, and have uh, found other priorities. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Becky, again, thank you very much. Um, Mark, thank uh, you. Thank you for I the really appreciate Thanks for inviting me. Oh, no, it was my pleasure. And um, with that, folks, I just want to thank you for listening um, and thank Becky for joining me for this episode. Join us next time when we're joined by Mike Decale, former CIO and current CTO at Everest.org. And if you'd like to nominate anyone to join me in a future podcast, email us at podcast at idc-a.org. Until next time, I'm Mark Teeley, and you can find me on Twitter at mteeley10. Becky, where can we find you online? You can find me at uh, in LinkedIn, obviously, Rebecca underscore Wanta at yahoo.com. And I have a Twitter account called rebi Forum. Dot com, which is uh, all about real-time enterprise business intelligence. It's a blog. Awesome. Awesome. Great. Well, again, Becky, thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, everyone.